Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Frischella, and welcome to World of Basketball. Well, the basketball world is up and running, at least by NBA standards, because uh, last night was the uh, beginning, I guess, of the uh, of the restart, Chris Tyler, of the yeah. NBA basketball, and that was a lot of fun. I got a chance to stay up late out here in Colorado and watch that great finish of the Lakers-Clippers uh, game. Both games had great finishes, actually. They were both yep. great games to watch. We've, we've obviously missed basketball. I haven't watched it in four months. So to have those two games back-to-back last night was a lot of fun. And then we're following that up today with, what, like nine hours in a row of basketball? Something like that. Yeah. starts at 2.30 Eastern. We're recording this at 10.30 in the morning. So we got games from 2.30 Eastern until all the way through the night, including a 6.30 game with my Celtics. So, man, it's a big basketball day it's today. Like, it's like Christmas Day. Absolutely. Like, That's what it feels it's like. like. Christmas. With all the games, I'll be on a plane going back to Dallas uh, early part of the day, but I'll get back for the night games and that'll be fun. And uh, last night, by the way, we saw the brilliance of LeBron James at the end. Uh, People have talked this season, uh, my friends in the NBA, about not only how great he's played, but how great he's been defensively. Yeah. And uh, we saw that in the final seconds of of the game, uh, guarding both Kawhi and Paul George at the very end, switching out onto Paul George. And uh, uh, they got the job done now. Clippers were without uh, Trez Harrell and Pat Beverly. Enough, uh, not, not Pat Beverly. Uh, Trez Will. Harrell was out, Lou and Will. uh, Lou Williams. Excuse me, Lou Williams uh, of uh, Magic Wings fame. <laughs> so uh, both of those teams are really uh, solidly ensconced at the top of the Western Division. I think you'd agree. Absolutely. And uh, we we will see those teams match up again. That's for sure. Yeah, and obviously LeBron looking good. It, uh, coming coming off the back of a four month rest, coming into the the playoffs, that's probably the best thing for him. He's going to be unstoppable. He usually is unstoppable anyway in the playoffs. But coming off that big break, we know that um, you know he's kind of needed some rest in the past. And coming off that four month break, he's he's going to be ready and rearing to go. And he looked that last night. So everyone else yeah. is going to look out, unfortunately, because they're, they're going to be unstoppable. Well, and Anthony Davis was brilliant too. And I think to your point. Uh, as much as we all miss basketball and, and there was, there's still so much uncertainty about the bubble, um, you got to think that once these guys, uh, you know, hit stride, that they're going to be fresh and ready to go for the playoffs, which are going to take place uh, in about four weeks from now. So that was fun. And then, of course, in the first game uh, with the international flavor, Rudy Gobert scores the first basket of the restart of the season. Kind of ironic when you think yeah. about it, uh, because the league shut down. I think it was March 11th, the night that uh, we all learned that Rudy had contracted coronavirus. So, uh, uh, and, and the interesting thing about that game was, uh, you know, Alvin Gentry stayed with the plan. They have a minutes restriction on, on Zion Williamson. And uh, he certainly was nowhere to be found those final, final minutes. That was, uh, it was interesting because as you pointed out to me before we came on the air, the whole point of getting Pelicans in the, into the bubble was to get these guys in the playoffs so we could see Zion. But that wasn't yeah. the case last night. 15 minutes, and you're in a crunch time game. You need to win every game because you're, you're coming from behind, right? What are they, two and a half games or something behind the, uh, the yep. eight seed? Fighting. They yep. need to win every single game. They're in a close game against the Jazz, a team they're competing against to make the playoffs, and they play him 15 minutes. And he looked good in those 15 minutes as well. Yeah. Yeah, he did. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I, I know what they're doing. They're thinking long term. You know, they, this kid's uh, entire What's basketball. What's an extra two minutes in crunch time going to do? I agree. I agree. It's going to make the difference in long term. You know, a lot of times these decisions are made by owners too, you know, and, and, yeah. pre- and team presidents, David Griffin, uh, you know, I'm sure was uh, heavily involved in a decision, but uh, kind of unfortunate if you're a Pelican fan, but a good break or for the Jazz. Or if you're an NBA because, fan, you just want to watch Zion. Yeah, yeah very, very true. You know, uh, 
I left, I left early in the game when the Jazz were down. Uh, I went out to dinner. I came back. The Jazz were still down. <laughs> and actually, the Jazz trailed almost the entire game. Yeah. But uh, came back and won. And, uh, and, and they're playing without uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's going to miss the uh, restart. He's out for the year. Now, we got a lot of basketball, as you mentioned, today. And we have the defending champions not opening up until tomorrow against the Lakers. And that would be the Toronto Raptors. And we have a very uh, interesting guest today. Uh, if, you're a, if you're a true basketball fan, you know who Sergio Scariolo is. If you really love the game like you and I do, um, and, we, and we follow it around the world, which is the point of the podcast, the world of basketball, mm-hmm. we have a guy who is very well known in the world of basketball. Especially Sergio Scariolo. I know it. I know it. And uh, it's been a good year for Sergio because he's not only the coach of the world champions uh, in terms of the national bas- you know, national teams winning the FIBA World Cup, but he was uh, part of the staff of the Toronto Raptors last spring when, um, when they won the NBA championship. So we get into a lot here uh, with Sergio about Spanish basketball, obviously, the plethora of players who've come to the States. Uh, I mentioned the Gasol brothers and Ricky Rubio and uh, – uh, the, the, the Hernan Gomez brothers who are in the league right now. Uh, we also talk about Mark Gasol joining the Raptors midseason last year. He had a lot to do with that. Serge Ibaka as well has been one of his players as a naturalized Spanish citizen. Both of those guys were key factors in the, uh, in the championship run of the Raptors. And uh, he's a really interesting guy. He's, uh, he's a great basketball coach. I think he offers us today – with the start or the restart of the NBA season, a really good perspective, Chris, on the, the role of international players and the effect they've had on the NBA uh, recently. Because as we talk about all the time on this podcast, 20 to 25% of the league is now born outside the United States. It's a whole different world for American basketball fans than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. And, of course, you see it because you, you're from Australia and you could see this incredible, uh, what I call shrinking, shrinking of the basketball globe. And uh, Sergio gets into that with us. It's pretty fun. And remember, if you like what we're doing, uh, subscribe to the podcast. Give us a five-star rating. And uh, we're really enjoying this. It's, it's fun uh, as we bring you a lot of interesting people from the world of basketball. So without further ado, Toronto Raptors assistant coach, Sergio Scariolo. Sergio, we can go on and on about your accolades. We will get into it. But I want to thank you for coming on this uh, podcast. It's absolutely a pleasure, Frank. First of all, let me ask you this. What was it like? You, you have been such a successful head coach for many, many years, going back to your early days in Italy. What was it like when you came to the NBA and you're giving suggestions as opposed to always being the man in charge? Well, it was a pretty, pretty huge adjustment. Um, the first couple of two, three months, I would say until Christmas, it was tough because it was like a uh, 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 brand new um, restart of my, of my own. It was still basketball, but first of all, it's, it's a kind of a slightly different basketball. Terminology was, was way different. Uh, the use of technology was, was completely different from where for what I was used to, uh, and, and my role was different. I mean, it's, it's completely different to to you know be more looking at the big picture and uh, receive the single pieces of the puzzle from your assistant coaches 
then and bring and, and then try to put all in peace as, as a head coach, then be the one who got the work on a, on a single piece of the puzzle in a very, very detailed way and, and, and uh, you know, offer it to the, to the rest of the coach, the head coach, and be ready to, you know, to, to accept also that uh, your ideas are not exactly matching. My, um, I mean, Nick's philosophy and my philosophy are very similar, but you still have, you know, some, some part of the, of the game where, where you feel you, you, you see it a little bit different or that maybe you may see that it's not the right timing to implement it or to make that adjustment. And then, I mean, I learned very, very early to, to take it absolutely not personal. Uh, if something works and, and, is, and is, you know, brought into, into the, the overall team system, great. Otherwise, great. I mean, just, just start to work on, on a different thing and maybe this new one will, uh, will, will work. So that's, that's a matter basically of controlling your own, your own ego, right? If you are, get to a point where, where you are really able to identify when, when it's not yourself, but it's, it's your ego. Uh, right. so you, you, you keep it, you know, trying to hey, shut up because I know I, you are well disguised, but I know that that's that is you who is, who is speaking, not me. Uh, then, then you can, you know, handle the situation pretty well. When you go, when you went back and coached the Spanish team, and we'll get into all this, but are you a better head coach now because you're in a, you've been an assistant most recently? I don't know. I don't know uh, either because I've been an assistant. Or because I've been, you know, working during, you know, almost two seasons in a different league uh, with an uh, objectively different level of, of uh, players, uh, of, of, you know, skill-wise and especially athletic, mostly athletic-wise. So for whatever reason, I feel myself like like a better coach. I learn. I learn a lot from from uh, you know the NBA game, and I start. To understand pretty clearly what can really be uh, can really be brought from from you know the best international basketball to the NBA and from the NBA to the best international basketball, uh, not wasting time to, to to you know to think about stuff which is not going to work, which is nice, but but not really um, going going to probably work in the in the other in the other environment. Right. You had a big role because um, with this Raptors team, particularly last year, because you not only coached Serge Ibaka, but then when they made the trade in the middle of the season for Mark, you knew Mark better than anybody in the organization. So what what was that adjustment like for Mark coming to a new team, but you were there as a security blanket? Mark Gasol. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that, uh, well, during the process, probably was probably the toughest time for me because at the same time, I, um, I, feel, I feel I have a strong relationship with Mark. I can't say a friendly relationship because it's, it's I mean, you know, coach, player, it's, it's all of that, but for sure, pretty, pretty strong. And, uh, um, I really felt that it could be a great addiction to our team, that he was going to really, uh, if he eventually was end up coming, was really helping us a lot. But at the same time, I had to try to be objective because my bosses were, were asking me, 
you know, Masai and Nick, hey, what's your opinion? What do you think? What do you, what do you think is the pros, the cons? So I couldn't, I, again, I get that, I, I had to have that voice shut, shut, uh, uh, shut, shut up and, and say, now let's, let's just focus on a very objective way. And that's my conclusion was always, this guy is going to help us because it's going to bring more of a winning culture, more of an unselfish uh, attitude, uh, more playmaking, um, defense, more, the defense, more defense, no question. Yeah. Yes, uh, especially in terms of of uh, being smart in catching our our way to play defense, so uh, versatile, uh, shifting from one cover to the other one, and prepare. And 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 actually, he was. I mean, it was to me having having coached him for for many years. It was kind of a no brainer. But I was understanding as well that. Uh, a guy who was also basically uh, had always started and be and be the pivotal guy of of, uh, of this Memphis team will come in and adjust to to a team in February where other guys were the the, the first offensive options. Um, and at the same time with Serge Ibaka, who basically had become our our starter, who had to adjust to be uh, a I mean top level. Uh, backup, but still a backup, and, and to complement with Mark in a, in a in a very you know humble and and uh, really team uh, team oriented way. And they, they both did did a great job. They 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 got along really well together, and the, the mix was great. I mean, I I really feel and I I felt back then, um, of course, that uh, we have the best. Uh, the best five-man position of of, of the NBA uh, with these two guys, so different but so complementary, one with, uh, with, uh, with the other. Why? I know the answer, I think, because I've been around international players many, many, many times. But tell the listeners, why are European players normally very good teammates? Well, probably it's uh, something to see with the, uh, the way uh, uh, teams play in Europe. Probably the the individual no, probably not. Of course, the individual talent is 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 lower, right? I mean, we have less uh, individual big time players who can create a, a shot from themselves, uh, who can really you know jump out of the gym or or, or make buckets of of the blue of of basically nothing. So uh, and and the the rules. Um, don't allow you to play to play that way in a, too much in a one-on-one way, individual way. The rules allow defense to, to go wherever they want. So you, probably the team uh, side of our of our uh, offensive and, and defensively as well. I mean, you you don't have so many unbelie- unbelievable athletes who can always stop their man one-on-one who can you know make ten block per game. If if the let's say Mostly the athletic level of the players is lower. You get compensated with a, with a good teamwork, and this is probably how how we want to raise our our kids. And then when you add, when you find the, the big talent, that's great. But uh, this is not what we we found every every second night. I mean, this is something which happened, you know, like Doncic or Porzingis. There are there are many, but still still uh, not even comparable. With, uh, for example, with the US. So this is the reason why probably even uh, 
game-wise and uh, um, mentality-wise, we had to be more team-oriented because we had to compensate individual individual uh, uh, blacks in somehow. What do you tell your coaching friends in, in uh, back home uh, in Spain and Italy about the NBA? What What's the biggest surprise? What do they want to know that they don't know that you tell them? They, you know, this is the big question everybody, everybody do, right? When I, when I get back or, or media or whatever. I think, of course, the speed of the game is different. I mean, no question, the pace of, uh, of the NBA game is, is higher. I wouldn't say that necessarily the half-court piece. I mean, the full-court piece. The pace is, is really, really, really higher. And, uh, and uh, even, uh, of course, the athleticism of the players is, is completely different. And this um, make even the fundamental execution uh, needed to be to be done at the higher speed. So this brings the player to be individually better players overall. Um, I would say that uh, the very surprising thing is that uh, uh, in NBA, uh, the individual development, especially, I, I prob I'm probably blessed because I'm in one of the teams who work better since the recruitment to the, day, to the daily you know, work on, on the player development. But uh, frankly, I, I, I really believe that this is a hell of a job. Um, I mean, my team for sure, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure that more NBA teams do in terms of uh, uh, making their own players improve. We used to, maybe 15 years ago in the United States, basketball was not in a good place. Um, individual play, a lot of one-on-one. -on -one. Um, that seems to have changed with Coach K and the Olympic team. Um, I wonder if you noticed that with the American players. Hardworking, like the, the guys that you work with on a daily basis, do they come and work very, very hard to, and, and want to get better? Even the stars, Kawhi Leonard, Kyle Lowry, how, how are they to work with? They are, they are great professions. Uh, of course, um, as you know, during the season, it's really hard to, um, you know, to propose to set really hard practices, right? Because you're playing four or five games a week. Um, you need to take care of your players. Don't want them to, to get to get overloaded and get into that, you know, red uh, area where the injury risk is so high. So you have to really take care of, especially of the, you know, more veteran and the, the guys whom, uh, you know, the success of, of the team is very, very uh, dependent from. Um, but young players and, and basically off the, the team practice, there is, there is always a lot of room for, for, you know, on the, on the floor and in the gym, uh, for players to work on their, on their, you know, to prevent, uh, injuries, work on their weaknesses, work on, work to improve. I've seen, for example, during, during this year, uh, players like uh, Siakam, Anunobi, Powell improve as a player because I was seeing them working really hard to improve. So nothing happened by azar. I think that, that there is a lot of great work around. I mean, I, I always say to my guys in your A, if an NBA player doesn't get better, it is because he decides 
not to get better because he has absolutely the all tools at his hands to become a better player from the mental to the to the physical to the athletic to the to the basketball uh, side of uh, of the business right all right now let me ask you this you um a lot of people don't know this about you, but you come from a Yugoslav basketball background. Your well, father, I, <laughs> right? You grew up watching the great teams. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. How, how did that? Uh, how did that develop your love of the game up in northern Italy? Yeah, no, I, I got to tell you the truth. I recognize myself. I identify myself in the in the, in the really deep into the Italian school, but. At the same time, the Italian culture school has been extremely influenced, uh, heavily influenced from, from uh, um, Yugoslavian coaches, especially, I would say, the Asanikolic. Age. Sure, yeah, He would be considered really the father of uh, uh, the European and international overall modern basketball. And uh, I grew up watching, you know, these guys playing uh, because when I was 10 or 11, um, basketball was not huge back then in Italy, but there was a, a TV channel which was, uh, you know, broadcasting uh, Yugoslavian league games. Back then, Yugoslavia was a whole country; it was not fitted into four or five different ones, and uh, and was really, really unbelievable. On the, I remember, it was Saturday afternoon at five in the afternoon, so there was a kind of a, a set up. Appointment, appointment TV. Yeah, yeah it was black and white. Right, black and white. Of course. And, yeah, and was like, wow, this 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 is another level. And, yeah. Uh, and actually, I remember when I became head coach, one of the thing, one of the few things I asked to my owner was, uh, please bring a couple of times Professor Nikolic, who was of course retired as a coach but was still extremely lucid and, 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 uh, and was an unbelievable uh, basketball mind. Please bring him, bring it, bring him into our team and, and, and you know, to stay around, to, to watch, to observe, to, to make his commentary, his criticism, because I feel that this is an unbelievable opportunity to me to grow as a coach and, and for the whole team as a, as a, as a you know, chain effect to, to improve. Yes, you, Coach Nikolic used to come to the United States to stay with Dave Gavin, uh-huh. uh, the very famous American coach, uh, who was the reason behind the dream team. It was Dave Gavin's idea. So I remember Coach Nikolic and some of the Yugoslav coaches would go to Providence College to, uh, to see Coach Gavin. You were a, now, you were a very young coach when you won a championship in Pesaro. Yeah. Ha- I was 29, yeah. 29, yes. How, how did your coaching – I what I heard about you was uh, more so than the tough disciplinarian, tough, 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 tough Italian coaches, you also were a player's coach with relationships. How, how did that – how did your philosophy of coaching develop? Well, I, I, I got to tell you the truth, Frank. I learned that because I, I was grown – I was grown in a, in a you know, a teacher families – my, my dad was a university teacher. My mom was a high school teacher. So I was grown in a very, very uh, strict way and a very, very, uh, you know, disciplinary and extremely demanding academic-wise. Then discipline-wise, I was terrible. I mean, I was, I was really, really high grade in, in, uh, in the different, different subjects. 
but that was really bad as behavior-wise. <laughs> they kicked me out four or five times for school. My my parents had to go, you know, crying to the head master, please, uh, you know, <laughs> back into the, into into the school. So that was my 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 education. And uh, but I understand. I understood pretty pretty early. Fortunately, I had a great great uh, head coach. Uh, basically, one of the two great head coach I, I, I had, uh, this, this one is still, is still alive, is still living, is Valerio Bianchini, one of the top Bianchini coaches. And he really taught, taught me all what is, you know, beside O's and X's, how to handle people, how to handle groups, how to handle yourself. I mean, there, was two year, there were two years of, uh, of, it was a master class because I, I just opened my eyes to everything which is not, just uh, uh, strategy, technique, and discipline, which is you know how to how to really um, help people to perform and help people to reach their the, to fulfill their their potential, uh, but just help them, not not always uh, you know uh, want or, or 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 feel yourself satisfied. If you feel that you are the one who's always pulling the, the, the you know, the, the, the car to the, on the, into the right direction, you just have to, to maybe you're, you're driving, but, but you have so many play, people around who are, uh, you know, helping you with this. What, um, what do you remember about being a young head coach? I, I'm curious about the, the Americans that came over, Mike D'Antoni, Joe Bryant, you know, Audie Norris, maybe the, what do you remember about the, because that was new for us, you know, to know that the American players could come to Europe. We didn't even know there was professional leagues in, in Europe, but they had an impact on Italian basketball, didn't they? They did. Of course, they did. They, they brought many great things, uh, professionalism, um, that competitiveness, you know, above and beyond the, the, you know, the pain or the fatigue or the tiredness. I mean, they were really showing how, how you had to compete if you want to be a really a, a top-level player. Um, Decision-making, because I believe, for example, D'Antoni was probably um, the best playmaker, pure playmaker, which Italian basketball had for, for probably that he's, it, it's... Uh, this whole recent uh, modern modern history. Um, Joe Bryan was an unbelievable scorer. I, I, I easily remember him, uh, you know, making forty points, five straight games, and and his his little his little son, you know, going <laughs> before the game on the floor with a with a basketball bigger than him and trying to make hoops and being so fun and yeah. so friendly and speaking Italian so great. Yes. Uh, you know, Kobe, Kobe, Kobe. Yeah, uh, I think American basketball had a great, great impact because don't forget that back then you could only have two foreign players into your team. So you better, you better have chosen them well because you couldn't change them back then, and 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 they were just two into a, a roster of probably ten back then. So uh, it's not like now that you, you can, you know, breach contract and uh, get another one and uh, settle and, and uh, basically borders are, are canceled. 
back then was really, really important to pick up the, the, the right guys. Right. I see big changes. Um, you know, um, in the 1970s and 80s, many American coaches came to Europe to do the clinics. 60s, UB Brown, Chuck Daly, Jack Ramsey. Now, uh, Sergio, I see international coaches having a great influence on the NBA, college basketball. Do you, do you, what, what do you think have been some things that you experienced as a coach in Italy and Spain that you see now is very common in American basketball? Because I think it has come like 180 degrees now in many ways. Well, um, pick and roll maybe. Well, first of all, I got to tell you the truth that I probably uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be a coach without those clinics. I was not, I was a little bit too young for the, you know, the Jack Ramsey or Lou Carnesecca um, clinics, but I perfectly remember uh, clinics like uh, uh, Bobby Nywin, Dean Smith. Yes, Dean Smith, yep. Absolutely. Um, I remember a great high school coach like Morgan Button uh, having a big, big impact. On, on me and on many other other European young coaches, uh, and then when uh, uh, probably a you know mutual friend Dan Peterson uh, started to organize his camps in in Italy, uh, you know NBA coaches started to to come for a week, and they were you know teaching their basketball and showing new things, and 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 uh, you know they were like we were we didn't have TV back then. So we were just we were getting some DVD, uh, you know, cassette once in a while, and we were like, "Wow, this is this is a legend for me." I mean, we're, we're now the, the, inter, the interchange is easier, and as you said, is a little bit more two direction, right? So it's, it's true that that uh, and I can see that uh, European basketball uh, had had changed NBA basketball. Um, I would say in a, in a pretty fair percentage, uh, offensively and defensively too. Um, mostly about strategy, of course. There are there are most of the things are pure NBA stuff. I mean, there is an evolution. Coaches are great. They 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 you know get new stuff and they they develop a role. But in terms of strategy, I can see that uh, there is quite a pretty huge amount of stuff which we have been using in Europe a few years ago, uh, which proved to be, to be uh, effective in, in, uh, in the NBA and or in college. And uh, they are actually used, like incorporated into, into the system. Maybe they changed the name. Uh, I, I, for example, the, the, the Spain picker all here. Spain, that's you. All is that, right? <laughs> so when that's... again here, I was talking about because I was so proud that I was the one who started using it. Yes. Then, then after a few years, it, it came. It came here, and 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 people are calling it stack. But it's, it's the same. I mean, you don't have to. Again, it's not the legal issues. It's a matter of being uh, happy to see how the the whole coaches world is, is uh, more and more uh, a global uh, entity where, where everybody can share respect and, and uh, knowledge in a, in a very friendly way. There's so many coaches, um, so many of my friends that have come from, you know, European basketball that I learned so much from 
because you your coaches learned the game in the 60s and 70s, and now you are teaching it back to us in in the 21st century, I think, in many let's, ways. Let's leave it on his, on his more of an <laughs> interchange. It know? is, it is. Yeah. Spain pick and roll, that's famous now in America, just so you know. Okay. <laughs> you you ran that in uh, 2016 a lot in the Olympics, and and before that too, even oh, before. Start 2008. Okay. okay. And then it was it happened? It, you saw my <laughs> clinic. It happened by azar. There was a guy crossing, going where he was not supposed to be, <laughs> and and I was like, wow, that that's a good, that's an effective option if we you know re rebuild it and re-figure it out in a, yes. in a sort of organized way and that's how we kept it started. You're, 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 if you're going to be a genius, you cannot say it was a mistake. You have to say we did that on purpose. Okay. <laughs> so I would follow your advice. Okay. I would never be a genius. Don't worry. <laughs> um, you were one of the, um, I want to ask you about some of your great players that you've coached, but you were, you were really one of the very first coach, our, our mutual friend, Warren Legary, Rep, rep, represented he's an american agent represented so many americans playing in in europe you were one of the first european coaches to have and a coaching agent in warren um did he help you get to spain how did you go from italy to spain and how easy was that adjustment well basically uh, i think i was probably the first i don't i, I can't recall another but that's, the reason why was that uh, I was basically feeling that uh, uh, I, I, I was kind of a, I mean, that the owner of that team was Cavallini Pizarro, where I, where I won my first championship um, and that where I served as an assistant coach for four years. I was seeing him as my second father, actually. And that was really feel, feeling uh, uncomfortable, negotiating. With, with somebody who wasn't, who wasn't that was I was feeling, I was saying, like, listen, do whatever you want, which was not fair also, because you had to <laughs> right. start to behave as a professional. <laughs> not only, you know? So uh, I was the one to say to Warren, Warren, would you help me? And that was, I think, 80, uh, 88, 89 back then. I mean, more than 30 years. And from then on, um, you know, Warren always had a partner. In, in each country and I was you know getting along really well with these guys who were basically working with him um, and 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 uh, but but that was happening mostly let's say uh, European on the European side I mean water was supervising but but then he was getting into the situation where it was really needed but he was trusting his guys in Europe and I was trusting his guys in Europe too and it sometimes was more uh, familiar, you know, for the teams to to deal with, uh, you know, uh, in Italy with an Italian guy, in Spain with a Spanish guy, and 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 this was basically what happened always until um, you know we start considering the NBA as a as a possible uh, next step in my career, and and ending up being being the you know the only agent. But it's it's, it's really ridiculous because back then Warren didn't have a single coach. In his, in his, let's say, uh, how you wallet, how when you call it, in his, in his, in his, um, and he kind of had fifty percent of the American player who were playing. Europe. Then he, you know, moved from players to coach and GM, and now is probably 
the number one number one agent in uh, in the in, in the, the NBA coaches with and coaches and coaches and GMs. Yeah, he. I, I started when I didn't even know that he was going to to become that that day one day. Right, you um man, you've had so much success with the Spanish national team twice, um, four European titles, the silver Olympic, uh, bronze. 2012 was amazing. Uh, playing the USA. This year you won the FIBA World Cup. Amazing accomplishment. What's the challenge of coaching a national team? Not just the technical challenge and the logistics, but the, the pressure. Well, um, there are two different pressures. One is uh, on, the, on the court. You're coaching uh, probably the best players uh, you ever coached. And they are actually coached from unbelievable great coaches in their in their team because they are they are playing in the NBA most of them or or in top European clubs. So in other words, you got to be uh, accountable. I mean, you can't you can't uh, get caught in a in a well I don't know or you know what I mean? Um, yeah, top they, level they, players. They already know. They know whether you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. They, they want to be they the really top players I've I've been lucky to coach want to be coached. If you prove them that you can help them to win, if you, if they feel that you can help them to win, they are disciplined, extremely professional, and uh, and they accept criticism, they accept corrections. But it's a kind of a first you show me that you can coach me, and then I will allow you to coach me. And this is what I've been, I've been really lucky uh, with, with uh, you know, happened. And this is on the floor. Outside the floor, this is like, uh, you know, for during, during uh, two months, but basically during three weeks, the whole, the whole pressure, the whole attention, the whole interest uh, of, of a country is uh, focused on your team. And this is a team, everybody's team. This is not just the Los Angeles fans or the Toronto fans or New York fans. This is everybody, you know, knowing uh, basketball, knowing that uh, the player they have uh, probably brought are better and more more appropriate than the ones you did, or or that the strategy they would uh, figure out are better than yours. And if you lose, you know, it's, as you know, it's a kind of a uh, uh, everybody can talk about, they can speak it like in the bar. Uh, of the national team. This is different from club teams, and especially in Europe, where, where Latin people are so so passionate and 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 uh, they they don't care if they know the game or not, but they they want to talk and they want to to, to they know what they know what's on the front of the jersey, Spain. Yeah, Absolutely. when yes. you coached when you coach the level of players you coach um, with the Spanish national team, they are brilliant players, very smart. Do you give them more in, input into the strategy and the tactics than you would if it was a, just a regular team in the ACV because they, you have so much respect for them? Well, uh, it's a kind of a, there are two sides of the coin. One, they are so good, as, as so smart, as you, as you said, that you can't dare to dig deeper and to propose kind of sometimes kind of a sophisticated wrinkles or, or make a game plan where uh, you got to really go out of what you have done during a couple of weeks because you know they will catch it up really fast. 
At the same time, you got to know that, that they are so good that you got to give them some freedom. And, and you have to listen at them because they have great ideas. You know, the, the best moment of, of, of the game day is when in the hotel, a couple of hours before the game start, we have our 10, 15 minutes walk through. We have our tape in the, in the hotel room. And we have two teams, you know, with, uh, with their shirt, uh, uh, let's say sponge, basketball, like, you know, and, and one assistant coach show them uh, the opponent play. I propose a way, but then as soon as somebody say, uh, start to talk with their teammates, and, and hey, I will, I will do this, this little, little variation. I just listen because they are the guy who got to go on the floor. And, and, and some, I would say that maybe, I don't know, three times, four times in the whole 10 years stretch I have been with them, I had to say, listen, I, I get what you, what you say, but I think we, we have to do it different. Uh, and, and they know the system so they can, you know, propose stuff which is basically within the system, but maybe a little bit different from what we, we were thinking. And that's great because that's, you can feel really that they're participating not only with their effort on the floor, but also in our coach's uh, job of planning the, the, the game strategy. You give them uh, ownership. That's what I would say. They yeah, have a lot of ownership. Absolutely. They're, 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 the re- they're the owners of the team, basically. <laughs> like the NBA. In, yeah. the NBA. <laughs> in the NBA, it's the players and the owners, and the coaches are just there. <laughs> well, not always. No, I, there are, I'm joking. There are, I'm joking. There are coaches who are really coaching. I know. I know. <laughs> um, tell me about the Gasols. Paul Gasol and Mark Gasol. Just tell me what they are like to coach. Oh, that's 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 another blessing. I I, I, <laughs> I mean to. I mean, as again, as, as I said before, it's demanding because you you can't. You know, you can't bullshit with them. I mean, right, you know, right. Tell them that, you know, <laughs> uh, um, that Cinderella story. I mean, they, 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 they will not buy into that. You got to, you know, tell them solid stuff. But, but you got to listen to them because they are, they are uh, not only um, accurate about their, their analyze, their game, game analyze, but they are also always team oriented. Some players, I mean, want to, to share with you uh, their vision because they want a little bit more, uh, you know, power, a little bit more of uh, uh, play time or, or importance into the team, a better role. Those two guys are really always there because they want to win. And what they will, whatever they will tell you is about, let's see what we can do to win uh, more or, or, or to have an easier way to win. When one, once you have that kind of a of a mindset, and and then you sit down and, and, and know that the player is not trying to cheat you, not trying to to you know pull the rope on his side and have something more for himself, but is really committed, is is really on board in terms of uh, trying to help the team to win, is a great situation for a coach. You like to to listen, and and they accept also that you may not agree not agree with them. Um, because they, they, you can talk with this guy. They are not like big egos who, hey, 
this is my opinion and, and no, no, you can absolutely talk and even say, no, I don't agree. And if you are convincing, telling them why you don't agree, they will accept it. Now, uh, up in up in my house here in Dallas, in my son's room, he's moved out now. He's at Villanova coaching. He has a, a Juventut jersey up there with a signature on it, Ricky Rubio. So I, I've been following this guy since he was 15. What what's what's Ricky Rubio been like to coach for you? Well, that's another another you know life changing uh, player to coach. Uh, first of all. Um, the situation is different from the two Gasol. When I started coaching Ricky uh, with the national team in 2009, uh, he, was, he was 19. And uh, what happened is that uh, uh, was my first year with the, with the national team. Jose Calderon was uh, hurt, I don't know, for whatever reason. He couldn't, uh, and I, I uh, decided to make uh, uh, Ricky the starter. Of the team, uh, being 19, being no, being 18, yeah, and uh, you know he had that kind of a rough start, but then he really ended up being uh, being a leader, being so well accepted from you know 25, 27, 30 years old players uh, with who had won more than him, played more, made way more money than him, but he was right there leading them. That 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 young, and from, from then on was like you know every year you could see him grow, uh, improving, and uh, and then recently in the last few years he had uh, you know a couple of uh, was hit really hard from from life he was so connected with his mom his mom passed away for cancer uh, and you could see also that the young the young the kid become a young man and then a pretty mature man. Uh, being so committed to others, not only from a basketball perspective, like he is, right? He's a great passer, great, so generous defensive player, but also as a human being. And now as a dad, you can see that, you know, it was, was really nice to follow the evolution and the growth of this, of this uh, basically teenager becoming, becoming an adult. And, and, and uh, really, I, I really admire him because he's really, really a good person before before being a good player. What's the reunions like when you see the guys during the season, Abrinas or, or Ricky, or now you have Mark with you? What's, what's that like for you, a little taste of home? Well, we, we, we spent some time together. The, the season is so intense that, uh, that you don't have really too much time, right, to share, but we always find find the time either either you know the night before the same day uh, in a worst case scenario 15 minutes on the floor before they go out and or when they finish their individual warm-up and uh, we stay in touch we stay in touch by by text we we I always I always pay attention to their games and uh, and uh, it's like uh, okay now we, we meet live but probably we have been we have been you know chatting uh, one week ago, because I saw that game that you did that, uh, I like it. Well, I don't, didn't like the match there, for example, with the Hernan Gomez. I'm, sometimes I'm really, really tough because I want. They are the future of the of, of the Spanish national team, and they are talented, they are skilled, and I want them, you know, to rush on their way to become, you know, really solid, uh, you know, go-to guy players. Yeah. 
All right, three more questions. Number one, in Toronto, can you get good paella anywhere? Well, I'm tell you the truth, I'm more of an Italian food guy. Okay, okay. Uh, paella at home, <laughs> but there are some good Italian restaurants. In the city. Oh, in, in Toronto, for sure, for sure. Okay, that's why we are friends. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> um, what was it like to coach Kawhi Leonard? It was great. A great experience because it's a proof that the guy doesn't have to be awkward to be a superstar. I mean, the guy was, was uh, I mean, probably the best player I ever coached. But at the same time, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't mention one single thing which he was taking away from the team for his own uh, sake, being the most important player of the team. He was a professional. He was he's, he's quite a quiet guy, but at the same time, and in the vis-a-vis, uh, he will talk and will, he will listen and will, he will tell you his opinions. Uh, and and in, in a few uh, given meetings, important meetings during the season, he was also loud. And, and, and you can imagine when Kawhi starts to talk, he doesn't talk too much, but when he starts to talk, everybody <laughs> will shut, shut up and listen, right? Right. So, um, I mean, a guy who is not, not, doesn't really mind to take over the most important player of the opponent even if he has to waste you know energies and be you know less fresh in offense um, to do that uh, I mean he's, he's a winner he's absolutely a winner he, he's really really uh, committed to to make his team win more than than looking after his own his own individual stats so you will coach the Olympic team in 2021 is that correct we just bumped it back a year yeah you will be the Spanish. Okay, so now can I get you to tell me the best Spanish player you've ever coached? Will you admit that to me, or can you not? You don't want to. Are they like your children? You can't tell me. I got to tell you, Paul. I got to tell you, Paul Gasol, because he has been not only uh, you know performing that that great, but also winning that much. He won in the NBA. He won with his club team in Barcelona. He won with the Spanish national team. So he's really probably the best. And now, now uh, I got to give you another name, which is Juan Carlos Navarro. We just played one year, one year in the NBA. And he came back because he didn't like it. But uh, he was uh, incredibly uh, good playing basketball, despite, in, in spite of a really, really very limited frame his body was he was not athletic he was not explosive it was but i i haven't seen anybody that bad <laughs> athletically being so good as a basketball player the 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 floater the floater, floater. yeah those trees that the yeah. city make those passes that i mean it's he was and and especially the the how, how a great clutch guy he was i mean he was winning games by himself, making making shots out of the blue, nobody would would uh, uh, you know even imagine that he could make. Yeah, Sergio, thank you so much uh, for this opportunity to talk basketball with you. No you problem. Are, it was a pleasure. One, it was fun. Are, yes, you are one of the great coaches in the world. You are a champion uh, many times over, and uh, and you are you are. And uh, I thank you so much for coming on the World of Basketball podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Take care.
Well, that was a great chat with Sergio Scariolo. Remember, the Raptors open up the restart of their season, and they're firmly ensconced in the top of the Eastern Division on Saturday against the Los Angeles Lakers. And uh, they got a lot of they have they don't have Kawhi Leonard this year, but Nick Nurse has done a great job with that team. Sergio Scariolo, uh, as an assistant coach, a big part of it. Of course, uh, he told you about coaching Gasol and Ibaka and being a part of that great run last year. Um, remember, if you enjoy what we're doing on World of Basketball, subscribe to the podcast. Give us a five-star rating. We want to keep bringing, it, bringing this to you week in and week out. We've gotten great feedback from uh, people across the basketball spectrum about the interesting uh, guests we've had on. We're going to continue to do that. And uh, remember, uh, I'll be coming to you next week. You can guarantee it from another place in my world of basketball.